Welcome to the Nerd Review. This is the show where we talk about movies, TV shows, video games, books, and comic books. Today you are listening to Season 2, Episode 16, and we are doing the Nerd Book Review of Chasing the Moon. So let's jump into all that now. So this week we are talking about Chasing the Moon, a sci-fi adventure comedy novel by A. Lee Martinez. Uh, A. Separate Lee Martinez. Three names. Uh, This was an amazing read. I thoroughly enjoyed this book it's not that long 307 pages in paperback format great little pocket book took me about two and a half weeks to finish this book and that's just reading at a leisurely pace and there's always days that I want to read and I just never get a moment to open the book this is the sixth book I've finished this year part of my 2023 reading challenge over on Goodreads I've set up uh, my goal this year I've set up my goal at 15 books I have a profile there I should share my profile actually I'll put it uh, in the profile or I'll link it up in the Twitter uh, I'll change my profile to public so you can find me uh, the nerd on Goodreads if you want to follow along with my lists or anything like that um, you can find that uh, you'll be able to find that shortly after this episode and um, so I, I truly believe that reading is a gateway to a new world worlds of knowledge imagination uh, and personal enrichment enrichment uh, reading expands our horizons I believe it sharpens our intellect uh, it nurtures our creativity whether through fiction non-fiction poetry um, you know biographies bibliographies whatever you want to call them uh, books provide valuable insights into diverse perspective and cultures fostering empathy and understanding and I think in my humble nerd opinion challenging oneself to read more books every year has numerous benefits it enhances cognitive abilities including vocabulary critical thinking and analytical skills reading also exercises our brains keeping it agile and reducing the risk of cognitive decline all of these benefits have been studied over many years and you can read about all of that as well the internet has vast resources and so much information for us to consume and valuable information as well the included in the fiction and all the fun stuff that's there out there to read i always have a textbook open for you know technical support or any of the different things I'm trying to learn these days right now that includes like programming and command line PowerShell uh, some of the not so fun I mean it's fun to me and maybe a lot of us maybe a lot of nerds think it's fun but other people might think it's very dry or very bland or it's programming or it's math you know ick math Uh, and and more than just an exercise for our brains I believe books offer an escape from daily stress it's just like I said about uh, you know the the I always want to say Transformers. For some reason, my mind always wants to say Transformers when I'm thinking Twilight or The Fast and the Furious. I always just want to go off cuff and say Transformers. I'm such a Transformers fan. Uh, but no, that's not what I was thinking of. Uh, it's, 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 it's a daily, you know, it's an escape. That's what I was saying. It's escapism from daily stress, providing respite from the daily grinds. And it promotes mental health well-being in my, you know, of course it does. The act of reading stimulates imagination and encourages curiosity. 
um, and it can fuel a lifelong love of learning, um, which is exactly what happened to me. And it wasn't easy either. Um, so I totally get that some people struggle to read or they read slower than others. And you might not enjoy reading. Obviously, it's it's a choice to passion or it's a hobby. Um, but I, I think and it's by no means a race also like I didn't just wake up one day and know how to read and be able to read a, a whole book 300 pages in two weeks. Uh, I'll be completely honest. I didn't fully grasp reading and writing um, in English, my native language until the end of uh, sixth grade, beginning of seventh grade and high school. Elementary school was super difficult for me, the nerd. Um, and I had subpar tutors assigned at public school that was just dominated by old school, old style teachers who, in my opinion, lacked empathy or understanding. Uh, they didn't understand that not every child learned at the same pace in the same way. And they would yell at us, children. I'm talking, uh, you know, third grade, eight, nine year olds for having difficulty or needing uh, help in a subject. And uh, I kid you not, the resource tutor, uh, this is a personal experience actually. This was one nasty old lady in particular. She would uh, tell us to sit quietly in her little resource room as she wrote the projects, our projects for us, and then told us to rewrite it in our own handwriting. And these were creative projects that would just be taken over, giving us no opportunity for growth, learning, input, all the things that we're supposed to be, you know, actually engaging in at school. And she would be nasty if you didn't turn in what she had outlined or wrote. And it was always terrible. It was she was like the the cat, you know, like everything she wrote was like the cat went to the store or something super lame like that. And I was always super creative and imaginative, the very imaginative of a, a child. And uh, even when I, I couldn't spell very well, I was writing short stories and some of which I actually still have, but they're packed away and you know it, it's all you know paper bound and it's hard to unpack. And uh, before I now before I go off in a deep dive into shitty public schools that I went to, I was lucky enough to get out. And of that school and go to a better school for the last year of elementary school, sixth grade, uh, where I had uh, primary school, depending on where you're listening from, they don't use the same terms. Um, so the last year of primary school, sixth grade, I'm about 11 years old, uh, where I had a wonderful, helpful and caring teachers. Then I also had grandparents that loved reading. My mom and dad also loved reading, very avid readers, plus my aunts and my uncles, we all loved reading and valued it so much so that it was something that I, you know, they, they, they taught me the value of investing time in this skill and even though it wasn't easy i just kept putting that you know putting my effort into it and it was it was fundamental we, i kind of just understood that you know you needed to read you can't really function in day-to-day -day life and not be able to read signs or you know they thought i was bad at math because i couldn't read the the word questions and it wasn't until that i got a better resource aid in sixth grade that they realized that i could do you know math and arithmetic very well if i could understand the written word uh, that went along with these and um, so it just you know you need that reinforcement and that support and I think that that's very important uh, to have because I, I truly believe that reading is one of the most amazing things and it's so nerdy and it's so fun and you can open a book and be transported to a world of magic and uh, imagination and all these amazing things that are just so much fun and they're waiting they're waiting there for you they're waiting for you to pick it up and give it a give it a read and I remember we would go to chapters which is a bookstore here in canada um they've renamed it indigo but it'll always be chapters to me indigo is like the parent company and they owned a few other they own chapters and coals and a couple others now they've rebranded under one name and you can rebrand anything you can put a new sign on it it'll be chapters forever and uh, we would go all together as a family and my grandparents would buy us all books 
and when you finished a book you could get another book right away as long as we kept reading they would keep buying his books and this definitely instilled the love of books and reading for me like i said worlds of magic and wonder just waiting for me to discover waiting for you to discover and i mean all all of that was to say that it wasn't an easy journey uh it can be a very difficult journey for people to get to this point to read a book in two weeks i mean that would have been a fantasy of itself uh for me just you know 10 10 years ago 10 15 years ago i'm getting old man uh and setting a reading goal each year i feel that i am prioritizing personal growth and commitment to continuous self-improvement uh it encourages me to explore new genres authors topics leading to unexpected discoveries and enriching experiences sometimes it's it's you, you put down a book and you're just like wow that was an amazing read in the digital age where distractions are endless the commitment to read more and read more books each year ensures that I allocate time to shut out all that jibber jabber and fuel my imagination allow my brain to fully be in control and focus on one thing for a few hours for the mental health break of the overstimulated world um, you know it's, it's definitely helps this this nerd definitely escape and reading is the best escape like I've said um, I cannot encourage all of the listeners of this podcast to pick up a book slow down and give it a read i truly believe that reading is an investment in ourselves that yields lasting rewards uh, broadening our perspective and shaping us into more enlightened empathetic nerds and informed individuals at the end of the day uh, so to that effect i am now just over one third of the way into this year's goal uh, a few books behind but that doesn't bother me i just keep reading and try to read at least one chapter every day it's a it's a decent goal um, and right now i am reading books that really jump out at me that steal my attention which is the best kind of book right not just books lately i'm watching the show movie playing the game or reading the book that just jumps out at me the most makes me feel like oh yeah you know what? i want to read play watch you know insert title here uh, it's just it, it mostly just like a gut feeling really and this has led it's not led me astray it's led me to some rather great books and movies and experiences and so all that to say about books and why this nerd loves books and I, I i truly believe everyone should should love books but maybe you don't uh so just sit back and enjoy uh what this this book was about and hopefully you'll enjoy the ideas so let's jump into chasing the moon uh the back jacket of the book reads diana's life was in a rut she hated her job she was perpetually single and she needed a place to live but then the perfect apartment came along it seemed too good to be true because it was. The apartment was already inhabited by monsters. Vom the Hungering was the first to greet Diana and warn her that his sole purpose in life was to eat everything in his path. This poses a problem for Diana since she's in his path and is forbidden from ever leaving the apartment. It turns out, though, that there are other older and more ancient monsters in tight entities afoot, one who, wants, uh, one who wants to devour the moon and destroy the world as we know it. Can Diana, Vom, and the other horrors stop this from happening? Maybe if they can get Vom to stop eating everything and everyone. Uh, so it's a bit witty, the back jacket, um, which is sort of kind of the entire plot of the book and i will advise people there's a spoiler alert so if this book sounds interesting and you want to pick up an e-copy you want to go to chapters and pick it up go now pause this episode 
read the book and come back okay i'll i'll wait for you to pause and come back so i'm okay you've, you've read the book and you've unpaused you're ready for spoilers all right spoilers ahead <clears throat> now vom v-o-m vom i know i'm never pronounced never sure if i'm enunciating these words properly uh like vomit but no it vom is one of my favorite characters of the book he's trapped uh in her closet and he's also trapped in this dimension he's an interdimensional being also referred to as an eldritch horror and let's just stick a pin in that and we'll revisit that uh, what the hell that is really in a moment uh, and his entire purpose is to devour that was until he slipped through the cosmic cracks and became entangled in reality uh, our reality that he doesn't belong in and reality does a good job of keeping his impact in check by erasing and reversing time after he eats someone or something he shouldn't uh, the book starts with Diana, the main protagonist, acquiring her cheap apartment, her gruff but lovable landlord, Mr. West, which Mr. West is actually the first person she meets, not Vom, uh, tells her that she can have anything in the apartment that was left behind, and the only catch is to not open this one closet, no matter what. As we quickly find out, Vom is trapped in this uh, closet in the apartment and can't open the door himself, not until someone inhabits the apartment and opens the closet door to release him, can he free interact with our reality uh, they, they become bonded unfortunately vom the hungering eats the inhabitants and winds up back in the closet until a new tenant arrives and so goes the cycle now west explains all of this to diana and until she decides what to do her apartment door has vanished and she's trapped inside she can't escape uh, and before I get lost in a play-by-play -play of every character of this uh, chapter, every character in every chapter of this book, um, this episode is going to be hours and hours long. I'm going to quickly summarize some of the cooler things that happen. Uh, and then most of like overall the plot and other characters so like uh, right so West tells her the apartment exists in many dimensions and she will be trapped in the apartment until she opens the door and if she does open the door Vom will eat her but if she doesn't open the door she will live forever as the new warden of Vom the Hungering her fridge randomly and her apartment are tapped into the cosmos they're magical and she can conjure anything to eat or watch on TV he wishes her luck and then hangs up. During this time, she can communicate with Vom, who is written amazingly. He's funny, yet thoughtful, and has developed a sense of empathy that clashes with his other dimensional tendencies, as before he was a single-minded devourer, and now he has thoughts, feelings, and a sense of self. Uh, after a few days, Diana decides to conjure as much food as possible from the magic fridge, piling it up in the living room until it touches the ceiling, and it's directly piled in front of the closet so as she's standing on the opposite side of the door she swings the door open and lets vom the hum hungering directly out as he's aimed at the pile of food and in that instant as he starts devouring the food the apartment door reappears and she runs out while vom is distracted by the food and the coffee table all of which he eats while diana makes a break for it now let's not get lost in all the pesky details again this is uh this part is important as she managed to escape uh, Vom the Hungering and, and not get, you know, killed in her apartment only now the world is all messed up there are monsters and bug people and the sky is rippling with cracks and there's a huge monster in the sky trying to grab the moon. Vom
mom catches up with uh, Diana and explains how this all works. The apartment and and being part of it has expanded her perception of reality. She's still on Earth, but now she can see through the fabric of reality and see other displaced interdimensional beings like Vom, uh, a mid-sized blob with no eyes, no nose, two mouths, one in the middle of his stomach, and tentacles for arms, which have tiny mouths at the end of his of his uh, little tentacles. When she returns to the apartment, West, the landlord, explains that she can still live forever or go mad from the pressure of everything, or Vom will eventually eat her, and that everyone will eventually go crazy once they've seen uh, past the veil. So these are the only outcomes she has ahead of her. And now before we continue with the story, let's go back to the Eldritch Horror thing, because I mentioned that at one point, uh, which is something that Vom and West will briefly explain to Diana. And there's another character in the book uh, that helps the reader figure this out. Uh, but it's one of my favorite interpretations uh, that, that's used in the book. Uh, the use of other dimensional beings and how they interact with the world was really interesting and, and really well written. So an Eldritch Horror, what, what is that? Now, Eldritch means, the definition means strange or unnatural, uh, especially Especially in a way that inspires fear. The term was popularized by H.P. Lovecraft and conjures this sinister and unfathomable presence that lies beyond comprehension of mortal minds. Rooted in cosmic dread and existential fear, uh, eldritch horrors transcends the boundaries of human understanding, challenging our perceptions of reality and our place in the universe. This genre of horror is characterized by its eerie, otherworldly nature where ancient godlike entities and eldritch abominations lurk in the shadows whispering malevolent secrets uh, the essence of eldritch horror lies in its indescribable and shapeless form these horrors manifest themselves as inconceivable entities that defy the conventional laws of physics and reality <laughs> physics and reality their visage can invoke unsettling feelings mix of terror and fascination for they exist on a plane beyond human comprehension when encountering such beings mortal are often driven to madness which is what West said and what Vom explains their sanity shattered by a glimpse of existence beyond human understanding and at the heart of eldritch horror lies the concept of cosmic indifference the idea that the universe is so vast ancient and just completely indifferent to humanity's struggles. And it's very interesting because that is exactly what the landlord, West, what he says, and he's very nihilistic and he's indifferent to Diana at the first, uh, you know, like when they first meet, you know, he refers to her, she's just number five. That's the apartment she lives in. She's another warden of Vom, and he, she will eventually go mad or get eaten and it makes no difference to him. Except over time he realizes is that Diana is different and she's one of the few humans open enough to the possibilities of the world that she doesn't go mad and instead she just keeps adjusting and going on with her life now the like one of the things that's really interesting about this book is that eldritch horror narratives typically unfold 
in a gloomy, secluded setting where the veil between dimensions is thin and vulnerable. You know, crumbling ancient structures, forgotten temples, dimly lit libraries serve as the stage for these encounters. The atmosphere is typically oppressive with a constant feeling that something unspeakable watches from above. Except now in Chasing the Moon, the everything takes place in an apartment building, on city streets, walking around downtown, going to a cafe, going to the grocery store. It's way more upbeat and comedic than one would expect, and this really works for the narrative. It's fresh, it's funny, and it uses the cosmic horrors in a different way. I always feel like I'm saying whores, cosmic whores, eldritch whores. It's horrors, horrors, horrors. Gotta get that enunciation across, especially when you're doing a podcast. So, <laughs> jokes aside, Vom, Vomit, Vom explains that most of the horrors are just displaced beings. Some are godlike, some not, lost and trapped in this reality with no way of getting home. This reality doesn't like them being here, and anytime they try to do anything, people go mad or die. In the latter, the world just undoes the damage, reminding Vom and the others that they are insignificant here. Anything they do is erased as time passes them by. In Vom's case, he develops human traits when he bonds with the warden, though he usually eats them before anything takes hold. There are, have been a few wardens that lasted a while. The last guy lasted a century before opening the door to be devoured. Diana, from what I understood, is the first that got the door open and could like come and go as she pleases. Now, okay, we've talked about the overall plot a bit and some of the characters, but there's a lot of characters, so let's do this in a more brief manner. The important characters, uh, just the bullet point list here, we got Diana, main protagonist, she's really awesome, very well written, very witty, very funny, she works at a department store, gets this apartment, all things kind of go crazy. Vom the Hungering, displaced interdimensional being that lives with Diana, He's has green fuzz all over his body, no eyes, uh, two mouths, one where a mouth should be but there's no nose and nose eye no nose and no eyes and he has another mouth in his stomach uh, now there's Calvin whose perspective we follow in alternating chapters with Diana Calvin is an older uh, eldritch horror he's older than civilization he's uh, one that is more godlike being so people have followed him worshipped him uh, we find out during the plot the conscious mind of Fenris which was was the actual name of the creature in the sky that was going after the moon that Diana saw when she ran out of her apartment. I, I mentioned that for a reason, something uh, we we go back. Uh, and it's something that will actually I found funny because the back jacket of the book suggests that it's Vom the Hungering that will eat the moon. Uh, he just wants to eat everything and the moon isn't actually on his menu. A little bait and switch there. I like that. I found that funny. Always got to keep your audience. Uh, you know, not can't figure everything out. Now, Fenris is kind of a pseudo character he's there in the sky and people mention him and he influences the plot a few times indirectly and we never follow his perspective but he's a big plot yeah, like character and a big, big part of the plot big part of the plot uh sharon uh we get to meet her she's a part of the cult and assist there's a cult i'll get to that uh she assists calvin with living in the modern world and she has fallen in love with calvin even though she knows he cannot love her back because he's beyond this 
this reality, even though he lives here right now. He's trapped, just like all the other ones. So we also get to meet Schmorgus, another displaced interdimensional being that becomes a ward of Diana. Endless Schmorgus uh, finds Diana on a date with a super normal guy from work. A date she sets up right after having the best sales day ever, a debacle, uh, which is is funny. And uh, I'll get I'll get to that. <clears throat> it's one of the one of the better chapters of the book, one of the best chapters of the book. Um, so, in an attempt to be normal by dating this guy, uh, it all gets cut short when Schmorgus uh, sees Diana, who's now become a beacon to displays and displaced entities, as Vaughn explains so he goes berserk in the cafe not vom uh, smorgas when he sees her as this like beacon and he's exploding people and just going crazy uh vom shows up and endless smorgas duplicates himself that's what his his power is he's like the base desire of reproductiveness and he pops off tiny versions of himself that they either die really quickly or get eaten by Vom, which was really funny uh so safe so really you know like they all get cleaned up uh, pretty quickly now the date ends with Vom appearing diana forgives him for stalking her because he you know came to the rescue and during this rumble uh between Vom and smorgas everything is destroyed the cafe is destroyed most of the block is destroyed and finally smorgas snaps smorgas snaps out of his rage and calms down and instantly reality fixes itself bringing everyone back to life and removing the memories of what just happened monsters death all of that only it's not a perfect mind wipe and mr normal clearly remembers that something has happened and like quickly makes up a reason to leave and runs away from diana and never wants to interact with her again and this is just another cost of now her being a cosmic warden and having to deal with these eldritch horrors and i thought this was a very interesting concept vom and smorgas would explain to diana that humans that go crazy either live very close to an eldritch horror or have been in one too many cafe brawls and their psyche can't take any more reality modifications they can no longer tell the difference between any one reality which is a cool concept of having a reality that is aware of the events of what should exist and what shouldn't exist and it has rules and these and the reality itself actually influences and erases the influence from these interdimensional beings that shouldn't be here and that's how diana meets her next roommate smorgas a large pink hedgehog that looks kind of like rubber that produces clones of himself off of his back which just gives me the shivers explaining the creep factor on the eldritch horrors is really done it's supposed to give you that like uncanny feeling very well done so smorgas joins Vom and diana in apartment number five okay Okay, let's continue. There are a few more integral characters. So there's Greg, who is the leader of the cult that I mentioned, and the cult worships Calvin as an interdimensional god, uh, and they believe that he will usher in a new time and a new phase, a new era of humanity uh, once he leaves our plane of existence. And what he's actually doing is he's rejoining Fenris before he devours the moon, which is actually the climax and finale of the book, that after millennia of waiting and a few false apocalypses, Greg predicts 
predicts that the time is right and Calvin will punch a hole in reality to rejoin with well he's rejoining with Fenris and Fenris is the one punching a hole in reality to be uh, exact so who uh, Fenris who will devour the moon in an effort to escape his prison in so doing destroying reality and mutating mankind into their own kind of new eldritch horror in an attempt to survive in this now shattered reality which is just like mind-blowing amazing how do you come up with that kind of thing because i try to write short stories and like i never thought of something that like world bending and i'm getting ahead of myself a bit that is greg's whole plan while calvin is just like all of them indifferent to humans he doesn't want to he, he does want to go home though the idea of leaving sharon who's been helping him and cares for him and now he does truly care for but he's incapable of loving on a romantic level uh he, he cares for her and wrecking reality for everyone else doesn't seem to sit right with him anymore uh, meanwhile sharon never expected this day to come while she was alive having been happily intent to live her life out serving Calvin and the cult secretly pining over this god uh, while like tying his necktie and picking out him the right socks and stuff she never expected that he would leave and then she would have to you know, continue life in this now mutated reality which is something that they don't tell all the cult members they just tell them that they'll be like really strong and that you know Calvin can like imbue them with strength which he does but he's basically just doing the same thing that the apartment has done for Diana which is expanding their ability to like receive the and, and not receive perceive i should say perceive these other dimensions and in so doing allows them to like connect with the cosmos on a deeper level which gives them like strength and all of these extra abilities uh so they're kind of like duping the cult and like not telling them that reality will actually be destroyed and they're all gonna mutate into these like beast things which i found kind of funny is like there's always something that the cult is keeping from you and so while well, as we learn about greg and the cult and calvin and Sharon and their plans for you know his ascension moreover Diana has only just learned about cosmic entities eldritch horrors and is learning as she falls from one mess into another completely unaware of the cult Greg or Calvin at this point and that's one of the great things about this novel that I really enjoyed there's this great pace to the events things don't feel rushed Diana moves into the apartment and things unfold in the days following meanwhile Calvin and Sharon are going to cult meetings and having weekly dates and Greg is you know recruiting more people to the cult having you know Calvin sit on an uncomfortable throne while people bow at his feet and this is another thing that Calvin isn't very comfortable with he's a bit indifferent to the cult he doesn't like Greg he feels like there's something you know just not settle it not rightly settled with Greg he's unsettling is the word I'm looking for there and uh, he doesn't enjoy the cult meetings and, and Sharon has to kind of give him those glaring looks like you need to sit up and smile these people are dedicating their lives to you and they're bowing at your feet and he needs to remember this and it's funny the way that he's written i really enjoyed the humor and the way that the characters were written you got a really good idea of the different characters and their perspectives as they were narrated through the different chapters and uh, as this is happening at this point in the story uh the greg diana calvin all that stuff is separate like i said and along the way diana she starts to figure out more and more about how the world works uh, now that she's had her perception 
possessions expanded and she's becoming you know more powerful the more wards she takes in west explains that the cosmos will you know balance itself out and there's a give and take between her and her wards and as she you know slowly starts to figure things out and how she fits into this vast somewhat broken world along the way vom becomes attached to diana and he just wants to hang out and eat junk food or the bookcase he doesn't really mind while diana just wants to go back to life as normal except that becomes harder to do every day uh, she lives in the apartment as she starts developing powers of her own now able to influence reality around her at first she can't control it and she sets a fire to the department store that she works at simply by not wanting to go to work and focusing on that desire which uh, hilariously vom explains that if she isn't careful and precise with those strong desires the universe will make it happen in the easiest possible way where so the example is she didn't want to go to work bam fire store is closed she doesn't have to go to work now after a while uh she figures out she can undo the fire by concentrating on this new desire and it leads to one of the best chapters around this she she goes back to work after the fire and it's really well written that like you know reality has done the best it can do so there's like she can still perceive some you know smoke marks and soot marks near the ceiling and there's a smell of like burned plastic which uh the, her boss just complains to the cleaners about and she feels kind of bad for that um but other than that everything's not burnt out and she goes to work and it's only actually one chapter in the whole book that she goes to work and uh she wants to be normal and so she wants to sell as many coats as she can she wants to have the most normal day ever and is really adamant with herself that she will sell the most coats ever and right as i began reading the chapter i was just like oh no diana and and she's very assertive with her decision to sell the most coats ever and right away customers start showing up absolutely needing coats and after the third uh, coat sale, she figures out that she is bending reality again and making everyone around her absolutely need to buy coats. And again, I can't get over how how well written it is and how how small this book is. It was only 307 pages. And as I go on and on about all the different events and aspects of the stories and the characters, it sounds like this book was like over a thousand pages, but it really wasn't. And, and that is just a testament to really good writing. And how well the story was crafted and it just leapt off the page as i read it it was it was very very engaging and engrossing and uh, i can't forget there was uh, some other inhabitants of the apartment we haven't gone through all the characters yet so there was like there was also the landlord mr west which was the first person she meets and a few other folk um that diana hang out with so their their interactions aren't very integral to the plot there are a couple uh people that live in the apartment and she meets a next door neighbor um he he, they kind of go on a few dates and then he's just he's one of the people that can't handle the pressures of being in this apartment and so he has to leave and reality rewrites uh you know history for him and he doesn't remember anything afterward uh now mr west is not sure uh no one is sure actually if he is human or not diana isn't sure uh and we don't think he's human he can appear and disappear and potentially has like more than two arms and two legs but like you're not really certain and 
and we know that um, Sharon can become more and Greg and the cult people once they've tapped into these cosmic energies uh, with a little help from Calvin, the the, the cultists and, and Sharon and all them. They're able to transform into this inner beast with like multiple arms, big teeth and claws. That's what I was mentioning, the mutated version of themselves. And Diana always gets this impression that West is something different. Now he teaches her about the world and how, you know how it's indifferent but delicate and he does his part to keep the apartment building in check because why not he has to live there and someone has to do these things like fighting off giant insects from the future that will take over the world with advanced technology and now threaten to change the course of history and but in the past and would wipe out uh, humanity from ever happening replacing mankind as the dominant species with insects which leads to one of my favorite lines in the book, actually. Um, it was, uh, when you can't count on yesterday being there tomorrow, you really have to embrace today. And that was just something that was, it was very, it was very weird because like the idea is that the, the bugs and time like wraps around itself. So the bugs are like pushing into the future by like pushing into the past. And if they can succeed, they'll er effectively erase the past so that it never happened. And that they came to fruition even faster. It was, very, very time travel, very, very heady concept that I enjoyed. And so Diana eventually does cross paths with Sharon out and about in town when Sharon recognizes Vom in his true form, which according to Vom and Schmorgus, humans uh, who haven't had their senses expanded like Diana, their minds simply can't process what they see. And so reality and their fragile minds work together to see something else. It was in one of the, the alternate chapters that uh, we, where we follow Calvin uh, he's going out on a, like a bros night while Sharon has some cultist activities to take care of and he's going to meet some of his other his other eldritch horrors and they can't get together very often because of too many of them gather together this is outside of Diana's apartment so the idea is that Diana's apartment because it exists in like a nexus point all of those horrors and eldritch creatures can gather and not really affect the outside world whereas Calvin lives in a regular apartment and these eldritch horrors are just kind of moving around wreaking havoc around them so he meets up with some of his friends and it's in this chapter that the narrator and cal i, I expect it's kind of like calvin's inner thoughts and what he's thinking about uh is how um he explains that like his you know, some of his friends which one of them is like a translucent worm with arms sticking out at weird angles and has a baseball cap duct taped to the top of his head um because that's how the human brain works it'll focus on the hat and then like transform this grotesque slug worm creature into a person but even they aren't quite clear how that works and that was that was kind of one of the things that I enjoyed it was like they don't really understand it and they don't need to explain it it's just like human mind will fill in the gaps basically and so when Sharon recognizes Balm as a green uh, you know creature uh, that's what Diana you know she realizes that like oh so you can you know you can see these guys too 
And so, you know, except for Sharon, who saw Vom the way she exactly was, now they're like, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're people and we're friends and we're, we're people, we're friends. Uh, we're, we're people that can see the same reality. We've had our, you know, realities expanded. And so they get together, they start hanging out, they go bowling, they go for a coffee and stuff. And this is where one of the last characters is introduced. Uh, you don't meet him until literally the last hundred pages or something. Uh, the character is Zap. He's another eldritch horror. He's just a floating eyeball eyeball with tentacles that can shoot lightning uh, and he can see through walls and see through space and time he interrupts Diana and Sharon having a girls night uh, which was one of the bigger events of the book uh, it leads to another brawl and more people dying uh, reality correcting itself and that's when Sharon transforms into her beast self shocking Diana thinking that she Diana now thinks she's gonna become a monster also she doesn't um, because like I I, I can briefly explain it. So to become a monster, you need to be part of the Calvin cult and Calvin like touches you and he kind of breaks your connection with this reality, which is what allows you to mutate into a beast. Whereas Diana is a warden and she lives in the apartment, which is what gives her her abilities and her connection to the greater cosmos. And this is like, there wasn't a handbook. It wasn't like written out. It was just, it was kind of slowly explained and you pick up these rules as you read this 300 page book and it's just events. It's just like this woman and these people living their lives. It was so well written. That's one of the things I so well written. So the their their girls night gets interrupted and she thinks she's gonna become a monster. And it also brings Diana one step closer to the revelation that her reality is about to be shredded by Fenris when Calvin, Sharon's boss slash crush, finally escapes, which is all about to happen in a couple of days, surprisingly gasp, you know? And it does happen. The cult, they all gather and Greg invites Diana only as a trap and he wants to release Calvin and usher in the new age of reality um, and, and, and all that culminates at a bowling alley and when Calvin and Diana finally meet and through Zap, through the transference, this was something that was also really interesting, they explained that um, they the longer she spends time with her eldritch horrors, Diana, uh, the longer she spends with her eldritch horrors, they kind of transfer off of each other. So Vom, you know, he learns empathy and self-control and he doesn't have to eat Diana because he can eat other things. Whereas Diana develops an insatiable hunger from Vom and she can now like taste atoms and sawdust and puts like weird things on her food. And Zap, once she learns, once she meets Zap and spends time with him uh, she gets this like all-seeing sight and when she meets Calvin she glimpses the future of him destroying the world and ushering in that new age and new out new reality where the strongest beast with the biggest army will rule and that's where you figure out what Calvin and not Calvin, but Greg, what his entire point and purpose of making the Greg, the, the Calvin cult was to have a big army of people that follow him, which at this point it would be Greg because like he doesn't, you know, except Diana's group of horrors. Um, nobody else has a big group of followers that are going to turn into beasts and are prepared for Fenris ripping a hole in the sky. So I like how these like they're kind of like completely unattached plot lines like Diana 
moves into her apartment and she's learning about this and meanwhile there's a cult happening you know just on the other side of town and they're gearing up for a big apocalyptic situation and then they kind of like skid into each other right there at the ending because you know it's a it's a big world but it's a small world at the same time uh which i kind of it, it just it was really well written um so diana tries to to you know stop calvin um it, it, to stay in this reality she tries to you know plead her case this you know like in this reality people you know live and there's a bunch of billions of people that are gonna you know be left in this broken world and honestly it's these last few pages that are the best it was it was so well written and it's maybe like like 30 40 pages uh calvin he asks diana why she matters more than him or fenris uh should they care about the fate of ants do like you know in in that regard do we care when we smash bugs between our fingers he he points up to fenris and you know he's trapped thrashing to escape and he explains that all the tears in this reality all the eldritch horrors vom smorgas zap uh they're all trapped here because of fenris because of calvin being there that his struggles to eat the moon have shaken and cracked the very fabric of this reality and eventually he will get free and why should that not be now have they not suffered enough and diana had you know been fighting the cult members off at this point uh you know she's trying to stop fenris and vom and zap and smorgas are all you know in in the sky and the world is being torn apart uh you know she's using her cosmic powers and every time fenris would get closer to devouring the moon reality would splinter and the cultists and the beasts would get stronger and every time they you know diana's you know horrors vom in them pushed him back the cultist would weaken and half turn back into humans and this struggle and the constant changing back and forth and shifting uh was weakening the cult and and destroying the world around them and and sharon almost was almost like dead from this like constant shifting and it was her basically like seeing sharon from both diana and calvin that this was futile the world was indifferent fenris would escape and she would be left unchanged protected by the apartment and her new cosmic abilities in a reality she wouldn't recognize and the only justification she had to stop this was that she didn't want to accept change and so finally she just accepts it she stops fighting and she focuses on this desire and she recalls her you know gang of horrors because they're up in space she needs to like focus her powers and all that and she lets fenris devour the moon and it was really well written calvin's skin falls off and he becomes this like iridescent candescent glowing ball of that's like like kind of shaped like a human because he's he's basically ripping through reality and reality is struggling to you know contain him and render his form into something it can accept once you know like while he's still there except he's he's literally pulling away and trying to trying to escape this reality and finally he lifts off and he he leaves sharon behind and diana diana uh behind and he rejoins with fenris and they rip the moon out of the sky and the sky tendrils spread across it there's a giant gaping hole in reality and rips streak out across the night sky and the cult members uh finally transform into their fierce monstrosities all around diana on the cult grounds as fenris slips out of the hole where the moon once was and it was just so beautifully written and and they don't know 
if Calvin, uh, you know, now he has more control or perhaps having lived in this reality for so long that he truly cared about the inhabitants. Or maybe it was uh, just Sharon that he wanted to be able to live happy in a world that wasn't, you know, having his reality destroyed. And just before disappearing, Fenris's tentacles pop back in through the hole and it grabs the fang, the fraying pieces of reality and ties them back together and this allows reality to heal itself slowly and put the cracks back together and so all the cult members turn back into humans and they're all kind of looking at Greg a little pissed off like that was short-lived and that was you know that was basically the end of the book that was the end of the climax Fenris escapes he rips the moon out of the sky and it was you know it gives hope to some of the old other eldritch horrors that they too can you know get to live you know get to escape and go back and live in their true rightful reality and just wow you know honestly it was such an interesting climax and resolution with the fabric of reality tied back together it was able to slowly heal and only now the moon was with missing uh, which which diana actually solved uh with like a two burns one magic remedy situation she uses all those new cosmic powers to will a new moon into existence and every now and then she has to like kind of reshape it and and focus it into you know like proper con contrast which effectively uses up the majority of her abilities and left the rest of reality safe from her other whims and human desires without you know influencing you know like oh that guy i want you know that guy's so hot and then he turns around and he wants to date her or she doesn't want to go to work and another fire pops up or something and uh, so eventually sharon then moves into the apartment and they all help diana and sharon help west keeping the apartment running and keeping reality in check vom smorgas and zap all lived in the apartment uh, apartment number five happily learning about their new reality and bam that's that's the entire plot of the book and you know i i left out a lot of what happens actually in some of the you know combining chapters and just the events and such uh one it, it, it's, it's amazing how much happens in such a small book i i can't get over that 300 pages 300 pages um, and so many cool things and fun things. Uh, you know, one one of them was that after um, Diana started to be affected by her gang, uh, she, like I said, she developed that insatiable hunger from Vom and was able to peer into the future from Zap. Um, it was, you know, it was very handy information tidbits, and there's just so much happening. And, and Vom explained that you know she was transferring on them as well, empathy and willpower, and all the best parts about being human and allowing them to fit in more. And the book ends with you know diana visiting a peaceful utopia reality when sharon comes to find her and says that you know wes needs help with something and they leave behind a room of doors each labeled which things like peaceful or dangerous and diana says you know more doors and hallways appear all the time and she's happy doing this and going one day and one door at a time and that's it just leaves on a really happy ending like calvin moved away he became part of fenris and sharon and diana become 
become friends and they live in the apartment with West and so they can, you know, continue on their cosmic journeys and become, you know, more enlightened and all of that. And and honestly, I just love this book. One of the things that hit me in the end uh, after Calvin asks if you know, Diana and, and, and Fenris and all of them should care about the ants we kill and, and Diana stopped fighting, it hit me that the events of the book are merely happening around the protagonist and that there isn't really an antagonist unless you count the indifferent universe as an antagonist and at that point for what firstly the universe isn't sentient and thus it isn't being indifferent the universe just isn't concerned about the feelings and whims of any one individual on any of the endless planes of existence and this is a fact that diana has to accept and hope for the best and the fact that diana doesn't actually influence the plot or the outcome is interesting the the like the main character of the book has no impact on the resolution of the book calvin and fenris she you know she wasn't powerful enough to stop fenris and fighting him was actually destroying her reality whereas letting this trapped you know cosmic entity like animal out of you know like being trapped in its cosmic prison and allowing it to go home was basically the kinder thing to do even if it left her in a reality she wouldn't recognize all alone just like Fenris and Calvin and all the other interdimensional beings, you know, thrashing against the fabric of her reality, trying to get home. So who was she to stop Fenris and Calvin from getting home? Just so good. I could I could talk about this ending and the implications for hours. It was so well written. So, so well written. So short and sweet. It wasn't even a hundred page final chapter. It was like five pages and small too. trade paperback small, just incredible writing. So well thought out, planned with precise usage of perfect words. I tried to pronounce that perfectly. Now, clearly I loved this novel as if that wasn't totally obvious already. The ideas and concepts really intrigued me and got my imagination flowing. Now imagine living in an apartment like that situated at a cosmic nexus where one can perceive different dimensions and be imbued with cosmic powers even the the apartment was amazing like one of the other apartments she visited i mentioned uh, there was the, the the guy that she dated once uh he was in a chapter like i said i didn't even include every single thing that happened in the book i'll mention his apartment because his apartment was pretty cool it was like every corner and every like couple of feet was from a different version of his apartment so like one part had carpet one part had hardwood floors one part had tiles you know like and 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 all different stuff different paint jobs different furniture one minute it would be an old style tv one minute it would be a new tv but for some reason it only played Hanna-Barbera cartoons which is like a funny inclusion that like if you're a fan of Scooby-Doo you'd be like oh I get that reference you know and just it's so funny so well written and and even the apartment was just amazing you know it's nestled at the convergence point of all of these realities and you know the apartment itself had its own sense of awareness and it would respond to diana provide food entertainment more space when she needed it uh it was a gateway to all these unexplored realms which is so cool to think that like that's how the story doesn't even really end it just kind of you know the story finishes but it's not over diana west sharon they're gonna live on with all of their their new buddies now uh Balm and schmorgish and zap 
map and whoever else shows up and stuff and even bomb like on the last page they bring in another you know uh entity from the the cosmic entity i'm gonna at the end she stops trying to call them horrors because she's realizing that they're just trapped interdimensional beings who don't actually want to hurt anybody they just have their you know when they get here they're scared and they're confused and they're single-minded entities and she accepts another one into her apartment and vom is like we're gonna need more space for all of these and diana's like i think the apartment will provide for whatever we need and i just i thought this was amazing for me one of the most intriguing aspects of this cosmic abode would be the ability to perceive different dimensions like you're sitting in your apartment and you gaze out the window and it's like a mesmerizing landscape with like you know defying the laws of physics and like with each dimension you know offering unique experiences you could delve into the like tapestry of existence encountering civilizations and cultures beyond imagination in one apartment actually this again this is a different apartment from the one that's all different architectures and stuff uh west and diana were in like this oasis and west said that like people here had achieved utopia from balance only taking what was needed and because of that they shouldn't linger and obviously diana did she stood there on the beach looking out and all these bugs started to swarm her and she was like oh no utopia has bugs and she swatted them away and started to make for the exit when she was tripped and and laying in the sand with all these insects all over ah, it was gross except it wasn't insects they were tiny humans with wings and to them diana was the giant interdimensional monster killing them with the flick of her wrist and she had to focus on them being inst insects and not real people just to keep the guilt from overwhelming her and you know like she killed all of she was swatting them and slapping them and smushing them and I, you know, this was, this happens, you know, early on in one of the first, like, 10 chapters, maybe. Um, and it gets her to, like, realize that, like, the universe is very big, but also very small. And it, it's a fact that in no small part, I believe, was what ultimately convinces her to let Fenris devour the moon. As to Fenris, she was an insect. And like Qui-Gon Jinn said in Phantom Menace, there's always a bigger fish. And it's just one of the standout features of chasing the moon. Uh, I found was the author A. Lee Martinez A. T A. Lee Martinez it's three names A. period Lee space Martinez they have a skill in crafting a world that feels both magical and grounded it strikes it strikes a perfect balance between extraordinary and familiar making it just felt like i was walking alongside diana through this world that is just you know a step away from our own if i open this closet i'll be in a new reality kind of thing which is really the magic of writing is what i said that every book is like just waiting for you to open it and jump into a new world and and Chasing the Moon is definitely a delightful and imaginative novel that I found absolutely enchanting. It has a mix of fantasy, humor, heartfelt moments, a little bit of horror mixed in there, comedy horror, but it was in there. And the storytelling really shines through. Uh, this world, like I said, both magical and has the, you know, like protagonist that is endearing and relatable. Um, it is a novel that left, uh, left me with a sense of wonder 
uh, and remind me that sometimes the most extraordinary adventures can be found in the most unexpected places. It was one of those cliches that you just like having reinforced every now and then. Whether you're a fan of fantasy or simply looking for an engaging and charming read, uh, Chasing the Moon is a book that I truly believe will leave you smiling and yearning for more of a lee martinez enchanting stories and there's a lot to pick from thankfully he's written a bunch more books i've already picked up empler 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 <laughs> i'm getting all tongue-tied picked up emperor mollusk versus the sinister brain and they all seem very funny i love full of whimsical adventures i love the titles this one's about a super villain who's done it all i think he retires at one point uh there's a couple series uh, sequels he's done more this one was just a one-off i was hoping that there would be a chasing the moon 2 or maybe diana comes back at some point but i haven't found that unfortunately um but uh, honestly i'm super excited to read other books by uh this author this was this is really enjoyable book and I, I think that was pretty obvious by the end of this podcast because I have not stopped gushing about this book I give it five out of five stars I thoroughly enjoyed it I found uh, a new author that I'm going to read more of their books so I highly suggest it not a paid promotion just saying I went out and bought these books um, I'll, I'll be honest I found this book at a discount you know used bookstore so it only cost me one dollar uh, so the price on investment definitely paid out because I enjoyed this book for like two and a half almost three weeks and now i did this whole podcast on it so for that one dollar i got a lot of entertainment out of that book uh and you know that wraps up this episode of the nerd review i hope you have enjoyed our deep dive into chasing the moon remember there's a whole universe of fantastic books out there waiting to be explored so keep your nerd glasses on and your imagination soaring join us next time as we venture into new realms of literature gaming and films and all other things nerdy until then stay nerdy and may your inner nerdum thrive without further ado this is the nerd signing off